0: learning and growing in God. So pull up a chair and grab a cup of coffee, or in my case, tea, and join us as we fellowship.
1: Today, we want to continue on with God's temperance. Temperance is also known as self-control. This is definitely a fruit that I believe all of us are in progress in allowing God to work on us um, self-control and the whole idea of controlling yourself, it seems juvenile, you know, and it seems like something that we as parents are constantly telling our children. But when you really look at it, self-control and this whole idea of temperance is a very, very meticulous thing. It manifests itself in more than just outward ways. I think it's very important for us to be able to um, have in the forefront of our mind. What is my role in self-control? And then what do I have to just leave to God to help me with? That's a very, very, very important distinguishing factor when we consider this whole idea of temperance, your job and God's job. What am I supposed to be doing and what is God supposed to be helping me do? And I think once we allow the Holy Spirit to help us. To work with God in this way, then we'll start to begin to see this fruit manifest in our life and it be pure. It's not gonna be like religious or 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 just doing checklists or um you know trying to wrestle with certain things and struggles on your own, falling and failing, and then falling into guilt and condemnation or like. because it's a very, 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 very easy when you're thinking about this particular fruit to fall into. I got to do this in my own strength. And then you end up falling in this downward spiral of having to try to figure stuff out. And it just gets really nasty. Mm-hmm. Trust me. So basically, when you think about control, we've been looking at this fruit from God's perspective and all the fruit. So it has been God's love, God's joy, God's peace, God's patience, God's kindness. And we've gone through all of the fruit, God's goodness, all of them. And now we're talking about God's self-control. And when you think about God being out of control, that's kind of weird, right? You think about right. that. Well, he can't be God if he's out of control. So how do we see this from God's perspective? And there's a couple of examples that I believe will kind of help us to be able to see it through the life of Christ, who is God in the flesh. What this really means. So rather than use the term self-control when it comes to God, I think using the term temperance is better. Okay. Now, those words are kind of synonymous. But when you look up temperance, temperance basically means the mastering, controlling, curbing, restraining of one's passions and desires. Temperance is moderation. So now when we look at it from that perspective and we think about God, there's certainly ways that we can look at God in, in a certain way and look at Jesus's life. So one example through the life of Christ is when he was in the wilderness. Right. Jesus first comes on the scene in his entrance to ministry, and it's a very popular story where he's in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil. Right. And he's going through all these temptations, 40 days in his, in the wilderness, no food. And he's out there and he's just warring within himself because he's both human and God at the same time. So the humanity of him is being tested here. And and the devil goes into this whole thing about, you know, you hungry. Why don't you just take these stones and turn them into bread? You can do that. And then Jesus is dealing with these temptations that many of us deal with every single day about appeasing ourselves, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Those three things, how people see us and the things that we do to be recognized by people. You know, um, the, the appeasing of our flesh, the things that we need to satisfy the urges and desires that we have that can be extreme and can sometimes be detrimental. And then the pride of life, just being overly preoccupied with getting the gains of life and making money and and being famous and all this kind of stuff. So in the wilderness, Jesus is tempted in all those areas, but exhibits to us an amazing amount of restraint. He exhibits an amazing amount of control amazing knowledge of his purpose and I think this is where the whole seed of temperance comes in it's a security in who you are such that nothing will be able to dominate your life okay Mm -hmm. temperance and self-control is more so about surrender than it is about control it's about surrendering to someone higher than you and allowing their authority to govern your life Rather than you trying to control everything and fix everything in your life, there's one amazing reality that I'm hoping that all of us will come into as far as the fruit of the Spirit and what we've been talking about. We cannot do this in our own strength, okay? None of it. Absolutely. None of this stuff we can do on our own. We can't love like God without God. Can't have joy without God. Can't have peace without God. Can't have patience without God. Can't be kind without God. Can't be good without God. Can't have self-control without God. Can't be meek without God. You cannot do this without God. The purity of trying to do this without God will be lost. And the freedom in this, the fact is, it's okay for that to be like a lot of times as human beings. We want to have a checklist and we want to have things that we can do to make us feel like we're living better than we should, or we're pleasing God because of how we live. And now there is a line like, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit about what my job is as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, but then also what God's job is and me allowing God to be God and me just making room for him in this area. That's really how these fruit work and how we'll be able to see them manifested in our life. So the Bible says in Proverbs 25 and 28, like a city that is broken down, Without walls, leaving it unprotected is a man who has no self-control over his spirit and sets himself up for trouble. So the first thing that we have to understand about self-control is the lack of it leads us to trouble. It just leads to trouble and the Bible likens it to a city that can be beautiful, that can be built up nice, that can look good, you know, but doesn't have any walls around it. So the slightest threat can come in and ruin the aesthetic and the foundation of that city. So it's walking around ungoverned, you know, that un- unprotected. That's what the lack of self-control.
0: And that, that goes both ways. It's mm-hmm. unprotected, meaning people can wander off that uh, should be contained mm-hmm. and then also not protecting yourself from other people getting in. Mm. So both mm-hmm. what comes out of your mouth, but then also what you're affected by right. and what what contaminates you, that, that that aspect of self-control goes both ways.
1: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, so self-control involves not only just behaviors. It's kind of like what you were saying, babe. It's not just behaviors. Self-control also has an internal component where it asks us, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Right. So it's the behavior, but it's also the why you're doing it. Going back to Jesus in the wilderness when he was being tempted by the devil, the Bible tells us something, and I believe it's in Hebrews, I believe, um, where it says that there was no sin in him. Like there was no evil in Christ. Like there was nothing for sin to grab a hold of and agree with to cause him to sin. So there was a there was an internal purity that was there such that he was able to resist the advances of the enemy. So this is why God is trying to get us, you know, only the pure in heart shall see God to get us in our hearts to be pure. And that only comes with being getting closer and closer to God, being more honest with the Lord. Like, hey, man, I'm a mess, God. I I just being straight up with God. That's it. I don't like this, Lord. I, I don't like this about me. Oh, I do like this. And I want I know it's not right, but I can't stop. I need help. But I'm not I, I need you to help me because if you don't help me, I'm not going to be able to do it. So it's a whole level of surrender to God that's going to allow the purity of God to be able to be seen in your life. Once again, I stress again, don't be deceived by this word self-control or controlling yourself. Right. This is temperance. Okay. And it is a, there's there's a, there's a relationship of working together with God to help us to be able to live according to how he'd like us to live. A lot of times we think about it as our attempts to manage our own desires. Um, and our own, you know, motives and our own things. And if we can be honest, we can understand that that is a futile thing to do. Futile. It is impossible for you to perfectly control yourself in a way because the Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked, which means even if you are to control the movement of your hands, you can't control the motives of your heart that caused your hands to do what it was doing. Or to cause your eyes to do what it was doing. And I hope that this is liberating to a lot of us when we think about the things that we are struggling with, the things that we can't help. Because God wants to show us that the way you help yourself in that way is surrendering it to me.
0: Mm.
1: And I can help you with it. So when we think about temperance or tempering something,
0: you can temper something by making it harder or softer. And I just wanted to Mm -hmm. add, um, because, you know. I'm big on examples and yeah. analogies. But mm-hmm. for those of you who cook, when you temper something like chocolate or eggs, like, you know, when you make it like custard, you can ruin something by adding what what you're trying to incorporate or mix directly into it without incorporating it slowly. So the mm. process of tempering is at at times tedious because you're literally... Like you're you're whisking the eggs and pouring the hot milk or whatever you know you're incorporating slowly, a steady stream. It's very steady. Mm. So you know, in the same sense, when we're being tempered, you know, it's it's God pouring Himself in us, but at a steady stream, so that He can steadily incorporate what He's trying to put in us. Mm. And so it's sometimes it, it's a. A long process you know it doesn 't you can 't just pour two eggs or or pour hot milk into to the eggs and and, and be done with it it 's slow and steady, so just keeping that in mind with our process with god it 's a slow and steady
1: Amen. process
0: it 's something that takes time, and as we develop and, and and learn and grow and read and and put into practice the things that we 're uh internalizing. We slowly become Mm. what we're supposed to be. Mm. So, you know, it it just made me think of the natural process of tempering.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that is how our growth with God works. It's a slow. And I tell people all the time, you know, when people first come to get to know the Lord. Uh, And they want to just hurry up and just be right. They want to hurry up and just, I don't, I want to stop doing this. I want to quit smoking. I want to quit doing this. I want to stop, you know, uh, whatever, whatever we do, whatever we're doing. And you just want it to stop. And there's some things that just drop off you just because that's just, it just happens that way. But for the most part, the walk with God is a slow walk. It's a walk holding God's hand day by day. And the closer you get to God, that's when you start to change. And that's that tempering, like you're saying, is God slowly pouring in his spirit, slowly reminding you, "Eh, I don't think you should do that. And slowly you start to become a new person and slowly, you know, and this is how it happens. And over time, not only do you start to change, but you fall more and more in love with God and then you want to be what he called you to be. So God's temperance to work in us can be manifested in three areas. First, in what we do. Right. And what we do. The self-control. That whole idea. This is the external part. And if you can think about a biblical example, Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers. And he was a, the, the dreamer that that ended up being um, the, the prime minister of Egypt and helping to save the people because God anointed him to be able to interpret dreams. But there was an instance where Potiphar, Potiphar was his master and um, his wife was secretly making advances at Joseph. Right. She thought he was fine. And she said, oh, okay. well, you know, maybe we can do something behind my husband's back. You know, it's fine. And the Bible gives us a very amazing illustration of the fact that Joseph at her advances, he physically ran away from her. Mm -hmm. Right. He got up and got out of town so much. So like he did it in such a way that she was embarrassed to the point that she accused him of taking advantage of him. Uh, because her ego was so messed up at the fact that how is this slave going to run away from me? But the interesting thing about that story is the reason why Joseph did it. The Bible says that Joseph said, how can I do this thing against God? Right. So the seat of temperance is our understanding of our actions and how they would affect our relationship with God. Mm. God smiles on those who desire to please him over other people, the people who are saying, you know what, it's less about me offending my brother, even though that's that's something I need to consider. But I need to make sure that I'm not offending God and willfully offending God. So Joseph's motives and his actions in that was I I can't do this because I don't want to offend God. And he hadn't even been fully delivered yet, <laughs> you know. He was still a slave, but still that that consciousness of God is watching. God is here, and I don't want my actions and things that I can control. The fact is, he ran, which means that was his way of of trying to restrain what naturally would be there, right? And some things we got to run from. Mm-hmm. That's just what it is. It ain't about oh, I'm strong enough to just be here. Listen. Many of us have things in our lives that we know, listen, if that's your thing and you got to do what you got to do to not be around it, that is exhibiting temperance and that is allowing yourself. And that's your job. Your job is to do what you can, which is sometimes running away. God's job is to validate that running and strengthen you with a way of escape. Okay. Okay. So this is where the difference is with our role and, and God's role. Second thing is God's temperance helps us in the area of what we think and how we think. And this is the whole idea of our motives, our intentions of our hearts. And there's a term that the Bible uses quite often, and that's being sober. Yes,
0: sobriety.
1: Sober minded. And we all know what sober is. You know, sober is not overly intoxicated with anything. So anything that you're overly intoxicated by is controlling you. Anything that you are perseverating over. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It can be people. It can be money. It can be your fears. It can be your doubts. It can be your self-esteem. It can be your insecurities. Anything that you're perseverating over has dominion over you. Hmm. Sobriety means that I'm not going to allow anything to intoxicate me to the place that I lose control of myself. Or I'm not able to give control to God when I feel out of control. So being sober minded, God's temperance helps us in the area of being sober minded. And then finally, thirdly, the area that God, God's temperance helps us in is in what we say. And I think this one is really important because um, our our words have a lot of bearing on who we become, how we affect people. Our words are powerful. This is what makes us like God. God spoke and things were. God spoke once and it reverberate throughout creation that he didn't have to ever speak again. Let there be light and the light never goes off. That's the power of his word. And he's given us the same power that as we speak to people, as we say things, as we uh, speak even over ourselves, that's why having positive speech. And the Bible says, whatever, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are of good report. Keep those things in the forefront of your mind, because as you're out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Death and life are in the power of our tongue and those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of our words. Our words have consequences. So this whole idea of controlling our tongue and this whole notion of verbal accountability, like being responsible for what you say, being responsible for our communication with each other. All of this plays a role in us having self-control and exhibiting this fruit of temperance. So this is another example of Jesus. And I thought about this because I was like, really like, okay, God um, is very precise in what he says. Like God never has to repeat himself. God never says, oh, I forgot. I left this out. What he says is exactly what he meant. But it's also powerful when he doesn't say anything. Because when God doesn't say anything, it's like he's saying something too. So I was thinking about that and I was like, um, you know, remember Jesus when Jesus was in front of Pilate and he's innocent and they're accusing him of all kinds of stuff. And Pilate's trying to get him to implicate himself or just to try to figure out, you know, are you the king or not? Now, what, what is going on? And the Bible says something very, very interesting. He says, and he opened not his mouth. That means Jesus did not say anything. With every reason in his human power to defend himself and to say something, he does not say anything. And that's hard to do. In some situations, and, and Rachel and I were talking last night, we were just having a marital conversation. And we were just talking about, you know, the whole idea of, AKA of, of a
0: disagreement. Yeah, some a <laughs> marital
1: conversation. Y'all know what those are. You know, every now and then when you're with somebody for a long time, you got to have a meeting of the minds again <laughs> to try to get some things straight. Um, and, and, you know, we straightened it out. Uh, but but the, the thing is, the, the part of it was our willingness to to um, to to watch our words and to, to really be patient in our understanding of what each other means when we're saying things and really taking taking into consideration how we say stuff, why we're saying it, where is it coming from? And it beautifully played into these three points about, you know, the fact that even with our words, you know, the motive of our words and what we what we what are we trying to accomplish with what we're saying? Are we saying things to try to to cause the environment to be conducive to um, to how we feel or are we taking on the, the, the responsibility of saying, no, you know what? Things are out of hand because I'm out of hand, things are out of control because I feel out of control and I'm taking that out on you mm-hmm. or I feel unsafe or I feel anxious. So I'm going to make everybody else anxious. Instead of me looking and trying to bring myself in and say, Lord, help me in this area. So there's some inner work that goes on, you know, inside of us with this whole idea. But James tells us something really interesting. And this is going to free us. I hope this liberates us. Right. Because I don't want you to listen to this and take this as. All right. Um, you need there's are certain areas in your life that you have to do all the work in controlling yourself. The Bible tells us that there's one member of our bodies that is impossible to, to
0: control.
1: Yep. So this, this shoots down all those, uh, all those notions of, you know, God is commanding you to have self-control and complete perfect self-control in your own strength. And you need to control yourself. It's impossible for you to control yourself hundred percent because there's a member of your body that is uncontrollable. And that is your tongue. James three, two. Right. It says, for we all stumble and sin in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, never says anything wrong. He is a perfect man, fully developed in character without serious flaws. But who's that except Jesus able to bridle his whole body and reign in his entire nature, taming his human faults and weaknesses. But no one. This jumps to eight verses eight through ten. This is Amplified Bible. But no one can tame the human tongue. It is a restless, evil, undisciplined, unstable, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. These things, my brother, should not be this way, for we have a moral obligation to speak in a manner that reflects our fear of God and profound respect for his precepts. That was James three, two through ten. I jumped to eight to ten in the Amplified Bible. Basically, what that is telling us is no matter how perfect we try to be, there's always going to be an aspect that is untamed. Which is why we need to have confidence in the Lord and have him help us in the areas that we struggle in. The reason one of the reasons why our tongue is so untamable is because it reflects what's in our hearts. So we can pretend all day on the outside. Right. But your heart is really where the truth is. That's why our lie detectors work, Mm -hmm. because the truth is supposed to be inside of you. And everything outside of us is trying to cover up that truth. But God sees the heart. So sometimes our conversations are off and, you know, our relationships are off.
0: That's because our heart, there's something in our heart that needs to be addressed by God. So whatever happens internally always surfaces
1: one way or the other,
0: no matter what, what what, you can put makeup on and cover everything up. But the oils in your face will always surface past. And I mean, I'm a makeup artist, so that's the example I have. But uh-huh. everything inside that happens internally always surfaces. So exactly the point is to address what is going on internally so that, you know, you I mean you can't tame your tongue. But
1: right. Right. But but you, you you can you can give your heart to the Lord. Right. And when you do that, God will begin to work on the inner part that causes that outward behavior. Right. And that's really how it works. So n- now that we understand the mindset of self-control and how it really works and our responsibility to it, we must now understand that temperance, self-control, is more so about surrendering and not allowing anything, anybody to dominate you and to make you their slave. Okay. The Bible says this in Romans 6, 14 and 17, Um, And then I'll skip down to 19 through 23. I encourage you to commend this particular text to your spirit, even to memory, because it's liberating. All right. For all of you who are struggling with vices, habits, hurts and pains in your past that you can't get over, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever those things are, anger issues, all this stuff. This scripture is liberating. All right. And this is what the Bible says. It says sin will not be your master because you are not under the law. You now live under God's grace. So what should we do? Should we sin because we are under grace and not under the law? Certainly not. Surely you know that you become the slaves of whatever you give yourself to. Anything or anyone you follow will be your master. You can follow sin or you can obey God. Following sin brings spiritual death. But obeying God makes you right with him. In the past, you were slaves to sin. Sin controlled you. But thank God you fully obeyed what you were taught. That is a liberating scripture. Because when we talk about the Ten Commandments, we talked about, you know, God's laws and God's rules. We said this before. God sets laws up and he set the law up, the Ten Commandments, to show us what sin was. Nobody, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to to accentuate my words here for effect. Nobody keeps all of the commandments because it's impossible to. Because the Bible tells us that even if you thought of those things, you did them. And if you disobeyed one commandment, God says you disobeyed them all. So the purpose of the Ten Commandments was not so that it would... um, Be a list that you had to live by in its power. The power of it was to show us how much we need God. Which was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So the thing is, you have your checklists, You have your things and you have the things that God says that he doesn't want you to do. And you have your can't help it. and You have your stuff that you struggle with that, you know, ain't right. But in your own efforts, you will keep failing at trying to not do it. And anybody who's ever struggled with anything, anybody who's ever had any emotional issues, any vices that we that we dealt with, any habits that we struggle with would understand that you take in that day one day at a time and you have a good day and you have a bad day. Then you have and then condemnation comes rushing in because it's man, I, I'm not supposed to do this. And we see this a lot in, in people who struggle with vices. The first thing that we have to understand about this whole thing is that God knows that you cannot do things on your own. It's just our job to accept the fact that God knows that and allow him to have the control and give him the reins and surrender under his authority. Verses 19 through 23 says, I use this example from everyday life because you need help in understanding spiritual truths. In the past, you offered the parts of your body to be slaves to immoral and sinful thoughts. The result was that you lived only for sin. In the same way, you must now offer yourselves to be slaves to what is right. Instead of allowing yourself to be a slave to your own desires, ask God to help you to become a slave to what is right. And then you will only live for God. That takes the control out of our hands of my do's and don't lists. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us and making room in our lives will allow him to help us to walk in freedom and not bondage. Now you are free from sin. You have become slaves of God. And the result is that you live only for God. This will bring you eternal life. When people sin, they earn what sin pays death. Mm-hmm. But God gives us a free gift, which is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. True self-control is not as much about bringing ourselves in line with our own will and authority, but rather bringing ourselves under the authority of Christ and is overcoming power of the world. That is what self-control is. That is what temperance is. It's not trying to bring yourself under your own power and stop doing things in your own strength because the Bible's telling us it's impossible for you to do that on your own. True self-control and true temperance is seen in your ability to surrender under the authority of Christ who overcame the world for us. So we must be careful to realize our job. Our job is to obey God's precepts. Certain situations you get yourself into run. Certain times you get a text message, don't answer. Erase the number. do These are things in our power that we can control. Right. Think before you speak. Be slow to anger. That means you are getting angry, start talking to yourself. There's a preventative things that we can do that you may not always succeed at, but you do what you can. And then you allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Now you're working with God and you're like you said, they allowing him to temper you over time. So temperance is about what we say, what we do, and what we think. And if we allow God to help us in those areas. And allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit to help us in those areas. Then we'll become what God has called us to be and then we'll be able to be a blessing to other people. So, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this day. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you. We thank you for allowing us the privilege to come together again to hear a word from you, an encouragement and admonishment from you. We pray that everything that was said would be beneficial to us and to help us to exhibit and to allow you to have the control of our lives as we surrender to you. We realize today, Lord, that it's not so much about us controlling ourselves as it is us allowing ourselves to come under your authority because you have already overcome the world. We pray that you continue to give us the grace, the courage to obey you. Give us the grace and the courage to live a life that is pleasing to you. Give us the courage to run away from what we need to run away from. Give us the courage to say no to what we need to say no to, realizing that you have created a way of escape and that you are tempering us over time. And you are mixing in your grace and your mercy and your love and your faithfulness into our lives. That as we yield to you, we will become all that you have called us to be and be able to exhibit this wonderful fruit of temperance to ourselves and others. This is our prayer, Lord. In Jesus name. Amen.